him, invited him into our lives. We've made him our savior. He's forgiven our sins. He saved us from them. And he, we've made him, our, made Jesus our Lord. We've recognized him as the uh, uh, authority in our, in our lives, the King of kings and the Lord of lords for me too. Uh, we have a new identity. The Bible comes along and tells us who we are. And it very often is very different than what we have believed to that point in terms of who we actually are. And I hope that you've really been surprised over these weeks as I have gone through some biblical teaching on our identity in Christ, uh, who you are. It's kind of unbelievable to think that we're dearly loved children of God. That somehow this God of heaven has the capacity to love you and me, to know us personally, to, to deeply care for us, to be present and active in our lives out of that love. Um, phenomenal. But that's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, we're friends of Jesus. I hope you've come to think of yourself more of his friend than anything uh, otherwise since. You know, he's not this great boss in the sky who's willing to, who's ready to demand of us and tell us what to do without drawing us into a knowledge of the things of God and invite us to share his ministry together. We, and we have a, a passion to make a difference in this world with Jesus. And so on. I told you last week you're a bunch of saints. That might have been the most sh shocking thing. You're holy people in the eyes of God. Well, today we're going to talk about identity a little further. And the key, by the way, letter in that word identity is I. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? That's what we're talking about. And what we're going to talk about today, very simply, is that we are servants. And it's not just something that we do, serve one another, it's who we are, I'm going to suggest to you this morning. We're going to look at a pretty well-known story from John chapter 13. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Um, he gathered together in an upper room with his followers. They were going to celebrate the Jewish Passover, something that Jewish people still do to, to this day and celebrate the action of God to get them out of slavery in and, and, and Egypt and bring them to a, a new place, a place of home, a place of belonging. And they were there, and uh, ultimately that's what he did. Um, in, that, in that culture, uh, it was just normal for feet to be washed. They were dirty, and, and they needed cleaned as people were, were uh, wearing sandals, and it was dusty and so forth. Very common um, in, in that reality. What I want to start by telling you is this. That, that was really not a nice job for people to do. How many of you would like to wash Canadian feet? You know, I could take off my shoes. I had a shower this morning, you know. Uh, and you could wash my feet. It wouldn't be that tough a job. But if you're in Israel, it's hot. What do hot feet do? They sweat. And what does sweat produce in your nose? Stink. You know, so they're dirty and they're smelly. It really was an awful job that no one wanted. I just learned recently, I didn't know this, that often even Jewish servants in a home would be excused. And they would bring in a Gentile slave, probably captured if you would, in, in war and so forth. And the Gentile had to wash feet. They wouldn't even ask the Jewish people to do it. It was so, it was, like it was a disgusting job. One of the things that I did um, this week was to think, I wonder if there's anything that parallels such a task in our society, like in Canadian society. And my first inclination was to think, not, not likely. You know, there's nothing that kind of gross that we have to do. Then I googled worst jobs, and I want to show you the list that I came up with. <laughs> and, and this, in my mind, is from best to worst, okay? So here we go. Number one is pet food tester. Do you know there are people, and it's their job to test dog and cat food to see if it's good? That's actually true. I wouldn't want it. Then the next one, roadkill remover. Do you know how many deer are killed in the United States every year? That's the stat I had. Sorry, Canadians, but 1.5 million. 
Now, you've seen dead deer on the side of the road, right? Sometimes they're just kind of intact and sometimes they're not. You know where I'm going with that? Not a fun job. Somebody's got to do it and we're thankful they do. Next one, mosquito researcher. Now, you might, <laughs> there are people who research mosquitoes and you know who gets uh, the mosquito bite in order for them to research? The researchers do. And what they do is they put a bare leg into a large container filled with mosquitoes. And do you know how many mosquito bites they get on average per test? 3,000. I wouldn't want the job, right? It would be awful. Next one. Portable toilet cleaner. Now, I want you to imagine the picture that I saw on Google when this was uh, presented to me. They're, they're, they look like guys, big guys, and they're completely in a uniform. Faces are covered, they're wearing masks. Head to toe, you know, the, the overall strap, and they're standing with a large hose in front of a line of portable toilets. So they would open the door, they would fire this hose into the uh, toilet. You know what comes back at them? <laughs> enough said, enough said. Next one human sewage pipe cleaner. Now, this is not just the little sewage pipes that somebody might need to stick something into. These are the big ones that human beings have to go into. You know what's clogging the pipe, right? Enough said. Okay, and the last one, this is the one that I think, uh, armpit sniffer. <laughs> now, <laughs> you might think I'm kidding, but these people work for uh, companies that develop deodorant. And when a new deodorant is developed, somebody has to put it on, and then they go work out or whatever, they do whatever they do, and somebody has got to sniff to see whether the deodorant is effective or not. Now, my guess is the human armpit sniffer is as close to the foot washer in Jesus' day as we're going to get. This was a job nobody wanted to do. It was gross, disgusting, and, and to be avoided. Um... You, you, know, you know what Jesus did when he was with his people and then he did their feet washed? Well, let me read it to you. John chapter 13, verses 2 to 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, because he was secure in his relationship with the Lord, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. He even dressed like a servant of, of the day. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Son of God came into this world. God in human form knelt before people and he washed their disgusting feet. It's awesome. It's, it's maybe not awesome is the word. It's, it's remarkable. It's stunning that Jesus would do that. He has a little interaction with Peter. He's often the guy Jesus had to have interactions with. And we're going to pop from there to verse 12 and read on. When he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? My friends, that's our question this morning. Do we understand what Jesus did that day? He wants us to. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Note the phrase, that's, that's my identity. I'm your teacher, I am your Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant, and again, he's speaking to his people, no servant is greater than his master, referring to himself, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, 
you will be blessed if you do them. This would have been a stunning experience for disciples. One of them, Peter, argued vehemently against Jesus doing what he was about to do, wash the feet. But the reality is that Jesus comes along and he, and, he, and he takes the role of servant. He dresses like his servant and he explicitly tells his people, now you do the same thing as that I have done for you. And he spoke to those people in that room and he speaks now to us, we who claim the name of Jesus. Now what is a servant? What is a servant? Let me define it like this. It is literally seeing the need in other people and choosing to act in a way that meets other people's needs. You see the need and you choose to act in such a fashion that the needs of others are met. Um, in this context, people's feet needed washed. And Jesus washed them. Simple. He saw the need, he acted, and he met their need. Other examples of this. My, my father, many of you know him, he attends our church, has had a hip revision this week. Wednesday morning, we were there at 6.15 to get him registered and so forth. But a hip revision is um, uh, uh, an artificial hip. Went into him 30 years ago, but it, it broke. That's why he's had so much pain and had trouble walking. And what they do is they open you up and they fix the hip. They take out the bad parts and they put good parts back in and they sew you up. And, and since Wednesday, I've been with Dad a fair bit, of course, and and I have seen servanthood powerfully demonstrated to me by nurses. Any need that my father communicated to those nurses, they would meet it like that instantly. He wants a cup of water, they'll get him a cup of water. He wants a painkiller, they get him a painkiller. He wants a warm blanket because he's feeling cold, they get him a warm blanket. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing to see. These people are trained in servanthood. They see a need, they act to meet that need for another person. It's not about them. You know, the, the police force often takes to itself, various forces, the, the, the slogan to serve and protect, to serve. What do they do? Well, you know, somebody breaks into our house in the middle of the night. What do we do? The foolish among us grab a baseball bat and run downstairs. Probably a lot of us would, right? But we also call 911. And we say, we need the cops to come, and we need them to come into our home, and we need them to arrest this criminal, and we need to take them away from our home so that we're safe again. They see a need, it's communicated to them, they act so that our need is met. It's not their need. <laughs> they would prefer to be probably cruising in their, in their cruiser, right? But they do what they need to do based on what is, what is presented to them. Um, my friends, that's what a servant is, and that's what Jesus was that day. He acted to bless and to help and to care for people who had a need. Um, and, as I've said, he says to us, now get at it. Live like that. Think that way. Let me ask you this question. How many of us here, and I'm talking to Jesus' followers, people who have put their faith in him, people who love him, people who believe in all their heart and are living in a relationship with him. How many of us, when we consider who we are, would think that a primary expression of our identity is that of servant? Again, I'm not talking about what we do once in a while, but when we think of ourselves, this is how we would identify our, ourselves to anyone. I'm a servant. Um, I think the Bible suggests this, that our natural inclination is to not think that we're servants, but th that we are the ones who should be served. Think about this now. It, it's just wired into our DNA somehow. We want and we hope that others will see our need and they will meet to need it. Uh, they will... Act in order that our need might be met. It's exactly what happens in this room with Jesus. A bunch of people, 
good people, people who had faith, but no one there either thought of or was prepared to play the role of servant. I imagine not, it didn't cross the minds of most of them. Well, that's just not what I do, right? It's, it's just not me. And if they did think of it, well, maybe I should wash the feet, uh, feet of these, my comrades. Obviously, they, 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 they refused to do it. They, they, they didn't want it. And my friends, it's what we're called to. You know, an example of, of how we love to be served. You know, probably a lot of you will go to a restaurant today. I find the older folks do this more than the younger folks on a Sunday. But we all go to a restaurant once in a while. And we love to be served. You know, we go into the restaurant and, and we're seated. And we don't have to cook our meal. Somebody else does that for, for us. Somebody else delivers the food to our, our place setting. We don't even have to stand up. We eat our meals. What happens? They instantly are there and they take our dishes away. And they wash them. We don't have to wash the dishes. And we pay good money for people to serve us that way. We enjoy it. We love to be served. Um, I know a lot of you here uh, either have or will be going on a holiday this winter. We love to get away from snow, right? Going to resorts and uh, on cruises and things. Man, in those places, the service is unbelievable. I've told you this before, but it's so right. I'm going to share it with you again. But I went to a resort five years ago or so, six years ago. And somebody was at the airport waiting for me to take me to the hotel. I didn't have to drive myself. They took care of my need. Got to the hotel, beautiful building, just gorgeous. And I stepped out and, 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 and a server came up with this tray of little rolled up white cloths that were wet. They were damp and cold so that I could pick one up and just dab my my warm face to refresh myself. <laughs> I thought, give me a break, I'm not doing that. But then I thought of my luggage and I turned around and somebody was already taking my luggage out of the van, not only to give it to me, but to take it to my room. You know, they saw my need and they acted. And then I, then I turned around back to the building to go up the steps in order to register and someone was there with a tray of champagne so that I could enjoy my registration experience. We pay a lot of money for this, people. We love to be served, right? We really, really do. It's somehow there in us. In, those in, in that instance, I was the served one, not the servant. Created a little dissonance in me for a little while. <laughs> There's a passage in Matthew 20 I want to read for you. Jesus speaking, talking about why he came to this earth. And this is what he says. For the Son of Man... It's a, messianic reference to himself the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many you know the biblical story it's an amazing thing that god came into this world to serve the needs of other people he saw he acted he died you see god looked at us and and he saw us alienated from him he saw us under the judgment of god he see, saw us needing forgiveness for our sins he saw us facing an eternity without god and he did something he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, and, and Jesus came into this world and he went to the cross. And because of his death on the cross and his ultimate resurrection, we can now have our sin forgiven and we can have a relationship with God and we can live in this, this life with God as friend, with a father who loves us deeply, profoundly. You know, we can look forward to eternity with God in heaven. No fear of judgment because Christ has taken. It's a phenomenal thing. God in Christ saw our need and he acted. That's phenomenal in itself. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But you know what has struck me this week as I've reflected on that verse? The Son of Man came not to be served. He came not to be served. 
It's almost like in his coming into this world, the last thing he wanted was for people to serve him. He wanted to serve. It's not what he came for. It wasn't his desire or his intention. As a matter of fact, being served was the opposite of his purpose, and he rejected and refused that kind of service. So in this instance of the disciples' feet being washed, Jesus was acting in a way that was entirely consistent with who he understood himself to be, his identity of servant. It's who he was in his mind. Here's the crux of what I want to say to you this morning. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not, remember this. These disciples in the upper room, they knew the need. Their feet were dirty and smelly. They knew the cultural practice. Somebody should wash our feet. But whether they thought it, as I said earlier, uh, as a significant idea, I should serve, or whether they didn't, it's almost that it doesn't matter. There was something going on in their heads, and it basically was this. That's not for me to do. That's not who I am. That's not me. That's for somebody else to do. They passed on the opportunity to wash feet. You know, they would have been thinking, I'm the served one. Somebody else should do that. You know, my identity is not servant. My identity is the one who has other people look after me. Do you ever say to yourself, when an opportunity comes to serve, that's not me? I'll start by saying in my life that happens a lot. Because as I said, there's something wired into Chris Little, which kind of inclines me to being the served one and inclines me away from being the servant in my mind. Think about this. This is, by the way, where rubber is going to meet road, okay? Be prepared. It's not to make anybody feel guilty, but it is to make us think. I love our soup lunches and our dinners that we have after the service. Always a big crowd when there's food coming after the service, right? You know, we have soup lunches and a lot of people, they work hard and they make the soup and they bring it. We've got this long table full of homemade soup and we, we just inhale the stuff, right? It's great. Now we have our Christmas uh, dinner and Dennis and Joan, thank you for a great job again this year. Um, we, we, we have uh, uh, the Nicaragua lunch today and we're going to celebrate the Nicaragua ministry and support it. We have great dinners, great food, great company. We enjoy each other. We have fun. But when it's all over and it's time to put those tables and chairs away, what's going on in your head? Mm. Apparently, there are a good number of people say, that's not me. That's not for me to do. And they go home. That's for somebody else to take care of. No, I come and I eat and my needs are met and I have fellowship and food and enjoyment and, then I, and I eat all that good stuff and then I leave. Others can cook the stuff and others can set up the tables and chairs and other people can clean up after me. You know, and other, other people can take down the tables and chairs. That's just not me. That's for somebody else to worry about. You know, we had a baptism this morning. Um, beautiful little girl. And today she's joined by dozens. I can't remember the number of kids we have on a Sunday. 60 to 80 or whatever go out. Um, 
And it's so incredibly important that we lead these kids to Christ because the world leads them away from Jesus now. You know that. Consistently, television, media, even in the school systems, God has been taken out. And they are explained a worldview that is absent of God. Sometimes we give opportunity for people to join and to, to join the team and, and to give themselves to teaching these little ones of Jesus. What happens, what goes on in your head when you're asked to join the children's ministry team? It's possible that what's there in your head is what was in the head of the disciples. That's not me. That's for others to take care of. That's for somebody else to do. Um, somebody else can love these children into the kingdom of God. Somebody else can pray for them on a daily basis that they might know Christ. Somebody else can prepare the lessons. Somebody else can give up the worship service, which I really enjoy. I'd never want to step away from that. Somebody else can clean up after the, the children's ministry uh, program is done while everybody else has coffee. That's not me. No, thank you. Again, this isn't about guilt. This is about, whoa, does this happen to me? It happens in me. I'm telling you that. It's natural for me without the impact of the Spirit of God in my life telling me something different. You know, we're signing up again for life groups are getting rolling, and, you know, a lot of people love life groups. You know, uh, you get together, for those of you who might not know, in midweek, and we study the Bible, and we grow in our faith, and we enjoy our friendships, and we build friendships, and when we're struggling and hurting, we have people to care for us, and we have all kinds of fun. But to go into the community and love people who need Jesus, well, that's not me. That's for somebody else to do. Someone else can take care of that one. You see it? Honestly? You know, I love the Christmas story. It's a powerful story of faith and of obedience and trust in God and the action of God in bringing Christ into the world. People like Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and others. But at the center of the story is this incredible young woman, a teenager called Mary. And an angel of the Lord came to her and said, God is going to so work in your body that you will carry the Son of God. The Spirit of God will overwhelm you, if you would. And you will be pregnant. And you will carry the Christ child. Um, she had a question or two, like, how does that work? <laughs> But then her response fairly quickly is this, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Hmm. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. You see the, 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 the two words that begin that verse? They're critical words. It's who I am, she said. I am the servant of God. She's speaking to her identity. She's speaking about who she was. And it enabled her to just live in obedience to God and to cooperate with the will of God and to see this incredible thing happen in the world called Jesus. <laughs> How does a teenager get to that point where she's confronted by God and her first instinct is to say, yes, I'll do it because I know who I am. I just exist to serve you and I see a need and I'm willing to act in order to make that need a reality. I don't know other than what God did in her life prior to that. Beautiful example. And in the end of the day, what Jesus says at the end of this passage, you know, he lives this servanthood, and Mary lived that servanthood, and so many others have, and so many others do. 
Um, he said, you, uh, you live like this? You live like what I have just shown you guys? <laughs> Mostly guys. Not all of them, I'm sure, but you become a servant like I've, I've shown you how to serve the needs of other people. You will be the ones who are blessed in this world. And that just rocks our, our, our thinking. Because our natural thinking is, no, the best place to be, the best life to live, the most blessed life you can have, you're kind of at the top of the heap. You climb the ladder and everybody else serves you in the restaurants and in the resorts and wherever else you might arrange things in such a fashion so that you can be served. That passage in Matthew 20 that I quoted earlier, go home and study it this afternoon and let God continue to speak to you in this one. It's when one of the mummies of the disciples, two disciples, brothers, they, he comes to Jesus and said, would you let my kids sit on your left and right when you come into your kingdom? Would you give them places of position and of power so that they would have others serve them? She didn't say it, but that's what it was about. <laughs> because they thought that would be the best way to live. Jesus says, if you act like a servant, if you climb down the ladder, not up, if you serve the needs of other people, can we go to uh, this verse, John 13, uh, verse 17. He says, you will be blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What's the best way to live? Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, he says, become a servant. And you will find life, you will find joy, you will find goodness. You believe that? I honestly think, if I believed it to my core, and if you believed that to your core, it would change the way we live. It would change our priorities, it would change our schedules, it would change how we, how we use our time and our gifts and our abilities and our energy. We would run after serving opportunities. But it's a hard thing to get our heads around and actually believe. Um, I'm going to use marriage as an illustration. I'm going to give you three scenarios. And, and I want you to tell me what you think each scenario would produce in terms of marriage. A husband and wife together and both of them actually believing, no, I'm not the servant. I am the served one. And I want that spouse of mine to serve my needs. I want them to take care of me. I want them to do what I want done. And when two people are acting in a similar fashion, demanding from the other that they serve their needs, what kind of a marriage will that produce? Denise says, not good, not good, not good. I'll tell you, it produces disaster. It doesn't work. There's no love in that. It's selfishness. Take care of me. Look after me. Do what I need done. Scenario number one. Scenario number two, you have one of those spouses, and it could be the husband or the wife, saying, you know what? I am the servant here. And I exist to see and to act so that the needs of my spouse are met. I exist to serve you out of love. But the other spouse says, no, 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 I'm not the servant. I'm the served one, so bring it on, honey. Take care of me. What kind of marriage does that produce? One-sided. I'll tell you, it produces a troubled marriage. Do you know why? Because sooner or later, the person who's doing the loving, the serving, the giving, the caring... Sooner or later, they become deeply wounded people, hurt. And they come to a place where they start to resent what's happening in their relationship and even come to that place of anger. And relationships struggle. Scenario number three, you have two people in a relationship who both embrace the identity of servant. And both of them say, I exist to serve your needs. I want to know, I want to understand, I want to see, and then I want to act so that your needs are met, and it goes in both directions. What kind of a marriage does that produce? I want to tell you, that would produce an incredible marriage. It does produce incredible marriages. 
It produces marriages where love is deep and profound. This is love in action. You understand that that's what I'm saying. It produces marriages where people find joy in one another, and when there is peace in their relationship, it produces marriages where there is goodness and grace. You want a fabulous marriage, become a servant, both of you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Who is most blessed when they become part of the children's ministry or the youth ministry or whatever? got to give up a church service once in a while and you've got to prepare and you've got to take time to pray and you've got to clean up afterwards. But you see, these are the people who see God's spirit work through them to touch the hearts of little kids so that their eyes are opened to, to see the beauty of a relationship with Jesus and they enter into it. They get to see God work in their lives and it provides meaning and satisfaction like nothing else in the world. Who, who, is, who is blessed when the life group decides, you know what, we're going to take it one night a month and we're going to go out into the world and we're going to find a bunch of people who have real need and we're going to bless them. I want to tell you, people who do that find it, that to be an incredible blessing because they are caught up in the things of God and they are making a meaningful contribution to people who are really hurting. And some of them come to believe in Jesus and they go, wow, God used me to do that? Who is blessed when you sacrifice and you go to Nicaragua or you go to a faraway land like the Gillans are doing? Who ultimately is blessed in that when you make the sacrifices which allow you to really impact and bless the lives of other people? I'm telling you right now, according to Jesus, the people who do the sacrificing, the people who love, the people who serve are the ones who are blessed. It is better, he says, to be the servant than the served one. That turns everything upside down in our thinking. This stuff is radical stuff. And I'm not sure whether everyone here is willing to embrace this or not, but if you want to really act in faith and in trust in Jesus and what he has said, live this way. You know, I came in in November, uh, and I always preach to myself in my, uh, my study. It faces the front of the building for an hour or two before uh, our first service at 9 o'clock happens. And, you know, I was preaching away one day, and it was, one, it was that week in November when we had lots of snow. Remember, we had a good snowfall in November? And I was preaching, and I looked out the window, and I can kind of see through the blinds, which are opaque, shall we say. And there was Terry Bambo. He's a first service guy, but some of you know Terry. And he had found a shovel because there was snow on the sidewalk, and he was shoveling snow. And, you know, I had this sermon in my mind. I guess I was preparing for it, and I sat back and thought, that's awesome. That's remarkable. Because he saw a need, and he chose to act to meet the need for other people. I honestly can say that Sunday morning, that was the most Jesus-like thing I saw. And it wasn't us worshiping God together, and it wasn't me and my preaching you know, it wasn't the, the band and the worship team. It was Terry moving snow. Because if Jesus had been here and he noticed the snow on the sidewalk and he was afraid about people slipping on the ground, he would have gone and he would have found a shovel and instead of washing feet, he would have moved snow. See how this is love in action? See how it reflects the heart of God? You know, the question comes, who are the heroes in the church? Who are the people that we are to admire the most? 
Jesus said, going back to Matthew 20, I haven't read it just because of time this morning, a lot on. (laughs) But he said, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you must become the least of all. That was in response to the mom who wanted her kids to sit on the throne with Jesus. He said, you want to be great? You want to be the hero in the church? You become the least. You become the servant. And in the eyes of God, you're top dog. That's awesome. You know, someday we'll all stand before God uh, when this life ends. Um, some of us, if, unless we find forgiveness and embrace faith in Jesus, we will face that judgment and ultimately uh, a rejection of, of God and his uh, place in heaven. But those who are in Christ, and we talked about this last week, we have this holy standing, the judgment's already taking place. God does not see sin in us. He sees the righteousness of Christ. But some of us will stand before God, and according to Jesus in Matthew 25, this is what we hope to the core of our being to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's who we are. It's why we exist. My friends, I want to tell you that's who you are if you're his. It's who I am. And can I ask or suggest that never again you say, that's not me? That's for someone else to do? Recognize it when it's happening and say no. I know everybody can't serve in every ministry, but find your place. Do you know when the Church of Christ absolutely thrives? When people are so much alive in Christ that and their hearts so transformed that they understand themselves to be servants. And they live their lives not as one who hope, as ones who hope to be served, but as ones who have a passionate desire to serve others. There, the kingdom of God comes in power. So I say to you, my friends, never again say that's not me, because it is you. Be willing, and have a deep desire to serve you might say how do you get to that place that's not where my heart's at there's only one way for a human heart to be changed you know that and that's to open up your heart to christ and let him by his spirit come in and transform who you are jesus come in make me think like you give me the desires of the heart like you let me live like you for there, lord i know i will find life Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, what a challenging sermon. What a challenging set of ideas you give to us through John chapter 13. Um, God, we just pray that you will work, that you will reorient our thinking, that you will change our thinking and change our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus, into our hearts and make us like you, that we can love people by serving them, that we might see the need, that we might act upon the need so that the needs of others are met. God, make us a church that thrives, that's alive and that is powerful in the hand of God because we are a church which is committed to serving one another in this world. This we pray, our God, in Jesus' name.